I need a Halloween version of a Christmas tree. You do? Can't we have Halloween trees? <laughs> I don't see why not. I mean, Satan deserves a tree for his birthday too, right? <laughs> Just put like a, a jack-o'-lantern at the top instead of a star and like string it with like little bones. Like, oh. Welcome back to Kicking and Streaming, coming to you live in the night, in the dark. <laughs> I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. And this week we are covering the 1999 horror film, The Haunting. Oh my god, Patreon stands! <laughs> yeah, guys, if you are currently a little onion at the five, you know we're covering The Haunting of Hill House from Netflix. Different adaptation, packs way more of a wallop. Oh yeah, definitely. What are we doing here? <laughs> When did we make this decision? I think I've been through so much depression and anxiety since we made this decision. <laughs> yeah. That I don't remember the reasoning behind. I know why. It's because we're doing it on the Patreon, but like, <laughs> guys. No, I thought it would be fun to talk about not the original film, but the film that we all know and love. Question mark. We all know and love. Yeah. No. You mean the movie from when we were kids? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I love this movie. I have a very hate-love relationship with it. So, <laughs> and I know you mostly hate it, but we'll get to it. Little Onion's happy spooky season. Yeah, guys, if you aren't already, please go follow us on Twitter at Kick and Stream. K-I-C-K-N-S-T-R-E-A-M. You can write the show at Kicking and Streaming Podcast at gmail.com. That's with an N, not an ampersand. And don't forget, folks, please be practicing this spooky season, the three R's, rate, review, retweet. Rate, review, retweet. Folks, we want everyone to come and join our little spooky watch party. Yeah, guys, go check out Patreon right now. For just $5 when you sign up, you get, like, in excess of, like, 20 pieces of content. Oh, no, yeah, guys, it's all out there. And right now you're getting double, because we guarantee you two posts a month. But right now you're getting double because of long-form coverage. Yeah, we're going to be ending our Hill House coverage on Halloween. No, yeah, it'll be really uh, wrenching. <laughs> it'll be really wrenching. It Happy sure spooky will. season, everyone. Boo! <laughs> <laughs> All right, you ready to get haunted? I absolutely have to start because... <laughs> there once was a house, a bright, happy home. Something bad happened. Now it sits all alone. Is this where you're going? That's Hill House. It's perfect, isn't it? We all suffer from sleep disorders. My job is to find out why. What's the deal with the Adams Family Mansion? I gotta be honest, I don't get a real strong sleep vibe from this place. <laughs> don't you love it here? This is so twisted. Calling it an insomnia study allows me to create a highly suggestive environment to observe the dynamics of fear. <gasps> you don't tell the rats, they're actually in a maze. I just think Dr. Marrow's up to something. Have you ever kept something to yourself because you were afraid? All the time. Ah! Ah! I'm sorry. You scared the... Oh my God, what's happening? Ah! 
real. Guys, Yond Bot's back. Oh my God, didn't he direct uh, Twister? He did. He also... He also directed the Speed sequels? The Speed sequels, not the original <laughs> Speed. Oh, no, wait, he did direct the original Speed. Never mind. Jan de Bont, he's Dutch. Yes, he is. Uh, he's also done The Hunt for Red October, Die Hard, Basic Instinct. Oh, wow. Yeah, the Luca Magnata inspiration. Ew. Basic Instinct. Yeah, I know, I hate it. I hate it so much. David Self wrote the screenplay from this film, obviously adapting it from Shirley Jackson's 1959 gothic horror novel. And we are very loosely using that word adapt guys if you want more i'm sorry i feel like i feel like if they want the information about the haunting of hill house they should just go over to the patreon well i mean there were a few things that we didn't talk about or that got cut for time when we were doing our opening episode on that series well you've read the book I've read most of the book, yes. As of as of this recording, I have not finished the book, but yeah, I've read it. I read it one time before in college, and now I'm trying to refamiliarize myself with it because it is a good book. Very creepy, very atmospheric. Guys, if you're not a little onion at the five, then you don't already know that The Haunting of Hill House, the original novel by Shirley Jackson, is about a research a, a research scientist, quote unquote who is hoping to study the paranormal and its effects on human behavior and fear, right? Haunted house, check. Subjects, check. And in this version of the story, we have a research scientist named Dr. Marrow who is actually looking to study fear and hysteria in humans. So he's going to lead this group of people under false pretenses to this big mansion and then plant a spooky story in their heads about the house to see how that fear manifests during their stay. Oh, and it manifests. <laughs> yeah, it, it does. manifests in a lot of goofy ways. It sure does. And you know what? I knew nothing of the novel. Yeah. As a child, when I first saw this film, of course. Uh, but, like, the way this movie used to actually scare me. This was a blockbuster rent. Yeah. <laughs> this was a blockbuster rental that Dad would get all the time. Wore that tape out. Wore it out. And you know what? I don't get it now. No, I know. I, I, I don't get it anymore. It's so laugh. <laughs> there are parts of this film that are just so laughably bad <laughs> and hokey. But, like, I, I've seen the 1963 film adaptation of this before. And you know what? That movie is mildly scary, I, but it's got like a Hitchcock feel to it or it's like, oh, God, I'm not. Se- What's the entity? Yeah, uh, I'm not seeing what it is and I need to see it. But like this movie, I honestly watch it for the house. Yeah. The, the location that is used in this film is just insane. And if you were wondering, <laughs> Harlexton Manor is the name of the location used in this film. And there's no way it's actually in America. No, 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 no. Harley, we're supposed to believe this house is in New Hampshire. Look at that. That's not in New Hampshire. <laughs> there's no way. It's in England, and we all know it's in England. It's in uh, it's in Lancashire. No, Lincolnshire. 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 Not Lincolnshire? It, it, yeah, it's Lincolnshire. But <laughs> we, we Americans would say Lincolnshire, but Lincolnshire. This house is just, like... I can't even, I don't really believe that that's how it looks on the inside. There's no way. But like the just the exterior of the house alone. No, the interiors are actually not shot in England at all. The interiors are created. It was filmed in Long Beach. <laughs> Long Beach, California. In California, yeah. Oh, Lord. 
Oh my god. Guys, um this movie off an 80 million dollar budget made 100 million dollars. Not the most uh, hefty profit in the world. The Haunting was largely met with unfavorable reviews from critics, with many citing its weak screenplay, its heavy reliance on horror cliches, and its overdone CGI effects. A rating of <laughs> 16% on Rotten Tomatoes. 16! That is dismal! Audiences give it a C+. Plus. <laughs> Average. It is definitely not the most scary thing you will ever see. If you're younger, especially if you were young at the time and you saw that movie like you were, yeah, it was scary because CGI was, you know, it was newer and just the atmosphere of the whole thing really does get you when you're a kid. My thing is how in 1999 can we have Phantom Menace and this come out at the same time? (laughs) Money. Let me read you what Roger Ebert has to say. Roger Ebert, we don't need to set all of film criticism on what Roger Ebert thinks. He's kind of an asswipe. (laughs) But here's what he wrote. To my surprise, I find myself recommending The Haunting based on its locations, its sets, its art direction, its sound design, and the overall splendor of its visuals. The story is a mess. (laughs) But for long periods, that hardly matters. It's beside the point, and as we enter one of the most striking spaces I've ever seen in film. (laughs) Roger! So, yeah, basically has the same thing to say that we do, because, you know, we're accredited film critics. Right, Yeah. right. Accredited, listen to me, accredited. (laughs) Do you want to go get your awards? (laughs) No, thank you. And I'll go get mine? Okay, guys, you might have guessed it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But we have names. Ugh. I think in her first kicking and streaming appearance, we have Ms. Lily Taylor here with us today. She's playing Eleanor Vance. Mm-hmm. Guys, Nellie, obviously the Nellie character. From the story and from the series. <laughs> Guys, you'll know her from things such as Mystic Pizza. I love it. <laughs> Anytime we get to bring up Mystic Pizza. <laughs> because I've never seen that movie. Yeah. It's described as a romantic comedy, but it's got, guess who it's got in it? It's got Julia, Julia Roberts, Roberts, Annabeth Gish. Right. And Lily Taylor. Nice. Guys, uh, The Conjuring. We love The Conjuring. She's been in a lot of indie films, Bright Angel, Dogfight, Household Saint, Shortcut. She's in a lot of Netflix movies, too, like uh, Eli. Uh-huh. That one's good. Oh, she's in I Shot Andy Warhol. <laughs> oh, no. Ooh. Guys, I don't see how it could be, but I think in his first kicking and streaming appearance, we have... Mr. William Neeson. What? (laughs) I read it right off the Wikipedia page. I'm sorry. We have Liam Neeson. Oh my God, wait. Liam is the second half of William, isn't it? (laughs) Sorry, you just stopped me cold. The look on your face just now, that was new information for both of us. He's playing Dr. Marrow. Yeah. David, there's always David screwing things up. I swear, I cannot escape a David screwing something up. Well, as you know, you'll know him as Qui-Gon Jinn from uh, Star Wars Episode One: Phantom Menace. Uh, you'll know him as Aslan, the talking lion from Chronicles of Narnia. He is the voice of Aslan! He sure is. You'll know him from Gangs of New York, Love Actually, Kinsey. I love Kinsey. Yeah. Uh, the A-Team. Uh, oh my God, Tooken. Yeah, Tooken! Taken. <laughs> Schindler's List. How many Takens are there? There's at least three. Oh my god, yeah, and you're right. Uh, Schindler's List. (laughs) I've never seen that movie. (sighs) Yeah, it's a rough ride, I'm not gonna lie. He was also in the very successful 2002 Broadway revival, 
of The Crucible. That's right. As John Proctor, starring alongside Laura Linney. Laura Linney as Elizabeth Proctor. Liam Neeson gave Laura Linney away at her wedding. Yeah. I love that. Guys, in her first kicking and streaming appearance, please welcome... It's Catherine Zeta-Jones. Guys. Uh... Guys, you'll know Catherine Zeta-Jones from stuff like The Mask of Zorro, Chicago, Ocean's 12. Oh, yeah, she was in Feud. She, oh. was Olivia, she was Olivia de Havilland in oh. Feud, which is just funny. <laughs> yeah, Because no. you, you, you always think of Catherine Zeta-Jones as this badass. Yeah. And then sweet, dear Olivia de Havilland. Like, how did she even play her? I am not saying... Catherine Zeta-Jones made me gay. I'm saying... She helped. She helped, especially in this movie. She's playing Theo today. Yeah. Theodora. I love... I just... In every iteration, I love Theo's character. Okay. (laughs) He's here and we have to deal with it. (laughs) I hate that, but... Playing the Luke character, Luke Sanderson, or whatever the fuck his name is. We have Owen Wilson joining us here today <laughs> in his first kicking and streaming appearance, most likely. Guys, you'll know him from things like, oh, The Life Aquatic with Steve Zoo. <laughs> oh, he was in Grand Budapest Hotel, Midnight in Paris. What's with the Woody Allen? Why is he in all these Woody Allen things? Um, he was in Rushmore, The Royal Tenenbaums. Wedding uh, Crashers. Wedding Crashers, Starsky and Hutch, You, Me, and Dupree. <laughs> night at the Museum. Yeah, Night at the fucking Museum. And guys, he is most famous for his voice acting in the Disney Pixar <laughs> Cars universe. <laughs> Ka-chow! <laughs> he is the voice of Lightning McQueen, and don't get me wrong, I fucking love cars. <laughs> if you have some rusties and a little bit of luck, <laughs> you can look like me. Don't leave me here! I'm in hillbilly hell! <laughs> Guys, I could have sworn she was with us before, but no, we got a lot of firsts on the show today. We've got Marion Seldes playing Mrs. Dudley today, and you would know who she was if Carrie Ann would have let us do Home Alone 3. <laughs> Because she's Mrs. What's-Her-Balls. She's Mrs. Hess in Home Alone 3, guys. Yeah, the the little old lady that lives across the street or whatever. She's just like who you call when you need a very severe old lady. Yeah, absolutely. She was a player on Alfred Hitchcock Presents in the 1950s. Wow. I know. Marion. Which is just weird to think about. You never think about Alfred Hitchcock hosting a weekly show. Yeah. In which he just gives you some scary bullshit every week. (laughs) That Now that's... A horror anthology. Yeah. Hey, that was the blueprint for horror anthology. Sure was. Guys, we have Bruce Dern for no reason. <laughs> Laura Dern's daddy. Laura Dern's dad. He's Mr. Dudley. Uh, he was in the 74 version of Great Gatsby. Guys, please welcome back to Kicking and Streaming, Mr. Todd Field. Um, he, what? Yeah, he was with us when we did Twister. Oh, he's one of the guys. He's one. He's the guy driving the van. When Meltzer. It cr- yeah, yeah, he's yeah. Meltzer, yeah. Yeah. We've got Virginia Madsen with us also. She's playing Jane, Eleanor's sister. She's from Candyman. Mm-hmm. And we've also got Tom Irwin playing Lou. Who the fuck is Lou? Her husband. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. He's the dad from My So-Called Life. Oh, okay. Okay. One thing before we get started. The series, The Haunting of Hill House on Netflix. I'm sorry. There, I feel like there's a lot in the series that draws from this movie. Yeah. This specific adaptation of this movie. And it's mostly visual things, but at the same time, the series only professes to be based on the novel. Yeah, that's strange. And I'm like, it, when you go and look it up, it says based on the 1959 novel by Shirley Jackson and nothing about 
this adaptation of the of the film. Yeah, I think they did include a lot of callbacks to this movie specifically that have nothing to do with the novel itself. Or not, it's not that they have nothing to do with it, it's that some of the details have been altered. But we'll get back to that later. Um, okay, before we get into the meat and potatoes of this, I want to talk about this opening shot. Uh-huh. This helicopter shot hmm. that is sweeping over the estate that Hill House sits on. And there's all this air sound. It's like whooshing in and out like the house is breathing. Uh-huh. It just, it, it, I know you don't think this is that scary, but that's unsettling uh, as no, hell. No, 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 the thing is, Carrie, no, I was scared. I was scared as a kid. Yeah. Not anymore. No, not anymore. I, I, I'm, I'm a big boy now. <laughs> big boys know the difference between what's real and what's imaginary. Well, the thing about the series is that it's wrenching at more than just my fear. Yeah. It's wrenching at my emotions, too. This, I am not emotionally attached to this. No, absolutely not. But that is a cool effect, though. Like, the house is breathing and stuff. And also, Harlixton? Harlixton? Harlixton Manor, or wherever the fuck it is. My God. It's so expansive. It is an architectural work of art. It's got, like, five wings and, like, three different floors and parapets. Like, you almost think it could get up and fly away. Yeah, a little bit. (laughs) Like It's It's just like, oh, my God. Go thick. Go thick or go home. <laughs> go thick or... <laughs> go thick or go home. Everybody get up, come on, get down with a thickness. So we open the actual narrative in Boston, Massachusetts. Uh-huh. And we are at the apartment of one Eleanor Vance. Or maybe not her apartment? No, yeah, that's the thing. It's not her apartment anymore. She used to live there with her mother. She has been a longtime caretaker for her very ill mother. Yeah, what... and it's been quite a thankless job I think we can perceive. Yeah, her mother was a nasty woman and it was really not fun living with her all those years. And taking and, care of her, and yeah. wiping her ass and taking every little bit of abuse she could dish out. Clearly, mother thought Lou would be much better equipped to deal with these unpleasant details than you. Unpleasant details? What have I been dealing with for the past 11 years? I've cooked, I've cleaned, I've mopped up her urine. You call that an unpleasant detail? And the thing is, when Eleanor's mom finally died, her mom made her daughter's husband. Her brother-in-law. Yeah, her brother-in-law. Eleanor's brother-in-law, the executor of her will. So he gets to decide what to do with all her stuff. Fuck you, Mrs. Vance. Yeah, like... Like, what the fuck is that about? Like, why... What does Lou know about running her shit that (laughs) Eleanor doesn't know better? And that's what's really horrible is that Lou is going to sell the apartment out from under Eleanor. Okay, Lou, you can you can absolutely suck a chode. And the, the thing is, is that her sister Virgin, her sister Jane, Virginia. Yeah, I almost called her Virginia. Jane Madsen. Yeah, yeah. Jane Madsen. <laughs> She's like, no, listen, we're gonna sell the apartment out from under you, but we're gonna give you mom's car. Yeah, no, you have a car to live in now. <laughs> You're taking away my home and giving me a twenty-year-old car. I love that line. <laughs> You are taking... She's so done. She can't believe she's in this situation. You're taking away my home and giving me a 20-year-old car? Oh, absolutely. We'll deduct the value from the proceeds of the apartment. Who are you? Do you understand that I have nowhere to go? 
I hate how these people, her sister and brother-in-law, think that they're doing her a favor. Because they're like, listen, I know you're not going to have a place to go, but that's okay. You can come live with us and be a caretaker for our horrible child. Oh, my God. What's his name? Richie? I don't care. I know. He's the worst. Yeah, he's he's breaking everything in the house and laughing and imitating his dead grandmother. Yeah, he picks her cane up off the floor and starts banging on the wall. Eleanor, help me. I gotta pee. (laughs) Richie, not now. Get out of my home. Come live with us now. You have no idea how hard it is out there. No, Jane. You have no idea how hard it was in here. (laughs) (laughs) That's what's so weird, is by the time Nell gets to Hill House, she's almost settled by it, as opposed to disconcerted the way everybody else is. Mm -hmm. And the way... gives you some perspective on what her life has been like for the last 20 years. Yeah. Like, taking care of her mother and just suffering in that tiny apartment. So much so that a haunted house doesn't phase her at first. We get this scene where Eleanor goes into her mother's old room with, like, the lavender walls and, like, the hospital equipment. The old-timey music player. Yeah, the thing you have to crank to make sound come out. And then, like, One of the things that is still in the house is Eleanor's mother's antique locket. We have another locket. Ah, the locket. And, like, it's hanging on the bedpost, and she's like, well, got to keep them from selling that out from underneath (laughs) me. So she just puts it on. Tell me what's in your locket. You You know know what's what's in in my locket. locket. We do not know what's in this locket. (laughs) No, we don't. Not this locket. And that's when the phone rings and Eleanor gets a call from a man who says he's a research scientist who wants to involve her in a paying research gig for people who have trouble sleeping. Listen, this is 1999. Uh-huh. So maybe this wouldn't have been all so unusual at the time. But if I got a call out of nowhere. Just a cold call. Tell, for someone telling me to look in the paper, I would have been like, nah <laughs> Sus, first of all paper yeah <laughs> what's that i get my news on the on the rectangle i carry around with me <laughs> yeah <laughs> she literally and the way she's not questioning it at all it pays 900 dollars a week and she really needs money right sure, now why the fuck not we cut to dr david marrow and his research assistant mary going over their potential subjects for this study a classic dependent personality disorder However, we are looking for suggestible. Her mother died two months ago. She really wants to do this. And what are your feelings, Mary? Tell me what your intuition say. I put my favorites on top. Mm-hmm. And here's where I would like to get into the ethics of what he is trying to do. First of all, human testing is already an ethical gray area because we're experimenting on human beings. Eh. However... It can be done ethically as long as the experiment is conducted with the full informed consent of the subjects in question, right? Yeah, but that ruins it, doesn't it? Yeah, the thing is, is for, <laughs> for his experiment to remain pure, 
quote unquote, he cannot tell them that he's going to test their fear response. You can't observe something that's being imitated. Yeah, no, absolutely not. Like, how else would we know how it actually reacts naturally? And we cut to him having a meeting with a colleague. I think his name's Malcolm. He might be, like, the department chair or whatever. And he's telling him, dude, you cannot do this. Yeah, he's like, I the ethics of this, man. I'm just not down with it. <laughs> like, if they think they're all going to have their sleep pattern studied, like, that's not full informed consent. It is not. This is not okay. David, no one is saying that these aren't provocative questions, but you can't conduct this research ethically or responsibly. And on top of that, you're bringing your insomniacs to this house under false pretenses. Because the experiment needs a credible cover story. Calling it an insomnia study allows me to create a highly suggestive environment to investigate the dynamics of fear. You don't tell the rats they're actually in a maze, Malcolm. Come on. So we get Nell driving out to Hill House and she gets up to the gate, a huge ornate gate, that is locked tight with all these chains. And you're like, what's that about? <laughs> it means no. <laughs> it's, it's designed in the wrought iron gate in beautiful calligraphy. It says, girl, not this. <laughs> <laughs> and like, she, she's turning away. She's like, well, maybe I don't have the right place. And then all of a sudden, Mr. Dudley sticks his rat face in the gate. <laughs> what do you want? <laughs> he's not a pleasant dude. <laughs> Are you Mr. Dudley? Yeah. <laughs> the way he's like, Bruce Dern, the way he's like, yeah, I fucking am. What do you fucking want, dude? Well, I'm with Dr. Marrow's group. I'm supposed to see Mrs. Dudley. Is she here? What do you think? Why do you need so many chains? That's a good question. What is it about fences? Sometimes the people on either side of the fence see a locked chain. They feel a little more comfortable. Why do you suppose that is? Uh, okay, listen, Mr. Dudley, we should be building longer tables, not, not higher walls. Stop it. <laughs> no, we need higher walls to keep these things in. Yeah, I know. Which is like the whole thing. It, the Dudley stay on, it sits there, and it rots. Oh, God. Yeah, Mr. Dudley's the caretaker, and he is married to Mrs. Dudley, who is the housekeeper. We know this. Yeah, no, I know. Some of them are not little onions at the five. When you so should be. Give us your money today. <laughs> Nell goes inside the house and starts looking around. And immediately, you know exactly what Roger Ebert's talking about in that review. Oh, my God, Carol. The interior of this house. Or of the studio. Yeah, it's a studio. <laughs> but, like, the inside, the interior is so gaudy but ornate the amount of room that is in this first big room yeah uh, what we need to call it something the foyer it's not a foyer it's but... not a foyer uh the the uh the great room yeah fine let's do that uh, the, 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 the the great hall i don't know <laughs> the amount of room that is in this space five families could live comfortably yeah there's all this intricate molding work big ornate doors uh, you keep expect you expect minerva mcgonagall to be standing at the top of the staircase <laughs> there are these creepy statues everywhere <laughs> of griffins and lions and eagles and yeah he was really into like animals of prey <laughs> eleanor goes down this long hallway looking for mrs dudley because oh, we hear the banging right yeah we hear the banging and she almost has a heart attack when mrs dudley just pops out of the butler's pantry oh oh my i'm i'm uh i'm eleanor vance i'm here with the dr marrow's group you're the first 
Yeah, I'd, I'd heard a sound, and that's... It's make the dinner or answer the door. Can't do both. Are you Mrs. Dudley? So far. No, the way she's like, are you Mrs. Dudley? And she responds, so far. What the fuck does that mean, Clara? <laughs> This is so sus. And like Mrs. Dudley is leading her to her room where she'll be sleeping. And they walk up that grand staircase and pass that nopey portrait of Hugh Crane. Uh, this is not the Hugh Crane that we know and love from Netflix. <laughs> Absolutely this not. This is not Henry Thomas vibes. This is the original owner, the guy who built the damn thing, right? <laughs> he looks like a Dickensian workhouse owner. Like, just as evil as evil can be. He looks like Frankenstein's monster with privilege. A little bit. You know what I mean? (laughs) And Mrs. Dudley shows Nell to the Red Room. That's what she calls it. She calls it the Red Room. The Red Room. Nellie's in the Red Room. Yeah. In the book, her room is actually the Blue Room. Well, what the fuck then? I don't know. I don't know why they changed that detail. I I don't know if it was because they wanted the red to make the room look more sinister or what it was, but that's what I'm saying. In the book, it's a blue room, not a red room. And there are no other rooms called the Red Room in the book, as far as as far as I remember. Well, Red Room goes stupid because this room <laughs> Carrie. Yeah. The architecture? Yeah. It's, uh, I just, where, when are we? I don't know, man. You know what I mean? Like, the thing is, is that some of the, the, the artwork and, like, the furniture and the molding and everything in this room, this is where it's some of the most intricate stuff. We have all of these creepy cherubic children, like... Oh, the cherub heads carved into the mantle? Yeah, carved into the mantle, carved into the headboard. (laughs) And here's where Mrs. Dudley starts with her typical shtick, right? We talked about this on the Patreon. This is where she's like an NPC in a horror survival game. I don't stay after dinner. Not after it begins to get dark. We live in town. Nine miles. So there won't be anyone around if you need help. We couldn't even hear you in the night. No one could. No one lives any nearer than town. No one will come any nearer than that. In the night. In the dark. (laughs) Here we go again! In the night. In the dark. Mrs. Dudley is just desperate to tell us how scary it is around here at night. And again, like we said on the Patreon, that's repeated over and over in the book. She gives everybody the exact same speech when they show up. I'm sorry, this kind of gives me the notion that the Dudleys are planted. Really? Like, I, you almost expect the Dudleys to end up being a part of Marrow's scheme. But they're not. But they're not. They do take care of that house. They do not stay at night in the dark. They are too afraid. They are too afraid. Because remember, in the series, they live like on the... like the other end of the property but the property is like huge yeah so they're far away enough from all that fucking mess but <laughs> these two are like no nine miles there won't be anyone around if you need help no one to hear you scream no, we couldn't even hear you in the night <laughs> in, in the, the dark. dark we then meet theo again i love theo in every single iteration she's so glamorous i think she's an artist she is. Yeah, she's whatever that means. She is bisexual. Yeah, she, she is. wears Prada boots. Hell yes. Yeah, she does. And like, I mean, instantly when she and Nell meet, there is something there. Uh, she thinks she's cute. That's what's that's what the something is. And like, it's even that way in the book. Theo is into Nell. Like, like that's not something that the gay '90s were trying to project on this story. The, there are homosexual overtones in the book as well. 
And I swear to God, she shows Theo to her room and like Nell is following them. And I swear to God, Mrs. Dudley repeats the entire speech verbatim to Theo. And Nell is literally completing the sentences. I leave before dark comes. <sighs> so there won't be anyone here if you need help. We couldn't even hear you. No one could. No one lives any nearer than town. No one will come any nearer than that. In the night. In the dark. <laughs> I love Nell. Like, as pretty as this house is, kind <laughs> of, it would still set my teeth on edge. But Nell already seems so comfortable. I know. She she's likes like, the house. She's right at home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Guys, even their rooms are gay. Yeah, I know. They're adjoined. <laughs> yeah, they, they share a bathroom. <laughs> they do. And, like, Theo and Nell, I just, this conversation is fraught with sexual tension. Yeah, it so is. When they're getting to know each other, Theo's like undressing in front of her. I know, we're already very comfortable in front of Nell. But I've been distracted from work by love, you know what I mean? Not really. Hey, don't tell me Boston's different from New York. Oh, you mean you have trouble with commitment? Well, my boyfriend thinks so, my girlfriend doesn't. We could all live together, but they hate each other. Theo and Nell go exploring around the house, and, like, there are just so many neat things we see in this house. You want to talk about this horrifying stone door? Okay, this is is such fat pussy energy, okay? (laughs) Um... Hugh said, look at it. Um, it. Like, There's like the first big doors when you come in, right? Yeah. And then there's like this little, uh, it's like Gringotts. There's the first <laughs> big doors, and then there's the door inside with the poem on it, right? Yeah. That's kind of what this is. Only this door, oh wow, these big stone doors, this double stone doorway. Like we're talking like 14, 15 feet high, right? And probably higher. Yeah. And like this this door is literally two stories high. And it, it, it's all of these intricate carvings of deep demons and uh purgatorians and like purgatorians purgatorians yes <laughs> is that the demonym for people in and purgatory spirits and ghosts and yes the denizens <laughs> of purgatory or purgatorians and it's got these words carved near the bottom it says all those who stand before this door shall be judged and and theo i love when theo cuz theo's an artist she's going to admire it she's like isn't it based on the gates of hell by rodan well it's not just hell See, the children, they're reaching for heaven, but their souls are trapped in purgatory. And these are the demons. Who can hold on to your soul for as long as they want. Did you study art? No, I studied purgatory. I was there once for 11 years. (laughs) Referring to taking care of her mother, like... Oh my God, I ugly laughed. I ugly laughed. It's when you're in one of those situations where you've met a new person and instantly they're an oversharer. Yeah, I know. <laughs> this is a comedy. I, <laughs> a little bit. This is a heart-touching comedy. In parts. Oh, God. And the carousel room? Oh, yeah. They go through that fucking labyrinth of mirrors. Yeah. And where they can't fuck it, like, because like, they go by one pane of the hallway where they don't see their reflection. And they're like, is it real? And yeah. they put their whole, they put their hands through it, and they realize it's a doorway, and they come into, oh, Carrie. I know. I know. The carousel room. They, they open, as they open these gigantic doors, 
opening the doors triggers some sort of mechanical happening. <laughs> you can hear it powering up as the doors are slowly opening. And it starts playing that music and you feel like you're at a carnival. It is a rotating room, with, also surrounded with mirrors. Yeah, mirrors all over the wall, and it's like, oh my goodness. And they start dancing around in it, and they get real dizzy, and I'm like, wow. <laughs> if this was my Airbnb, this is where we'd be smoking. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is where we'd be doing drugs. They run into Luke Sanderson while they are exploring. Luke is the third participant in the study. Wow. <laughs> He's a classic tosser turner. It literally, he literally does it. He literally, he literally does the wow. He does do the wow. Yeah, no. He does do the wow because he's introducing himself to them, and instantly he is interested in Theo, right? Like, because she's hot. Who wouldn't be? Uh huh. And you are? Mel Vance. What kind of sleep room? Nightmares. Not really. Anxiety attacks? No. Uh uh-uh. uh. Okay, obsessive indecision. And you, let me think. You, I'm gonna guess, are a get- Don't even start. Wow, you're so dominant. (laughs) What? (laughs) Okay. He's like, well, I'm not sleeping at this sleep study. Oh, wow, you're so dominant. He is a gigantic child. Yeah, Luke is always kind of an adolescent. Starring Owen Wilson. As himself. (laughs) Finally, Dr. Marrow arrives with assistant Mary and another guy named Todd. Why is Todd here? I I think Todd might just be another research assistant. I don't know, because Todd's here all of five seconds. I feel like it's just to have Belzer in the movie. I mean, I don't know. Yon Bon, I see you. (laughs) I don't know why Todd is here, but we go into dinner, and this is where Dr. Marrow starts spouting some nonsense about how they're studying bad sleepers, which is all horseshit, as we know. Like, we know why we're all here. They're all here to get spooked. They all have their different forms of insomnia, but uh, not Nell. No, because, no, like, you know, Theo and Luke, they've got things like anxiety and just general ennui about the world that keeps them up at night, but not Nell. Nell's led a very sheltered existence. <laughs> Nell's like, I don't really have trouble sleeping. I'm just here for the ride. This was literally <laughs> just my next thing. Yeah, this is... <laughs> <laughs> My mom died, so I thought, okay, let's go visit a sleep study. I have nothing to do now, so I thought I'd come stay in this killer house, quite literally. She has trouble sleeping because she's always had disturbed sleep in her life. Because sometimes her mother would wake up in the middle of the night and need her medicine. Ever since I was little, I took care of my mother. And, and she would wake up in the middle of the night. She would bang with her cane on the wall. And it was just this... Relentless. It was a relentless banging all through the night. The banging of the cane on the wall? Listen, Nell, I feel you. In my house, there is always somebody banging. <laughs> they do it with the door open. Like, I, they I, do I, not! Well, they used to, and by they, I think you know who I mean. Yeah, no. <laughs> I'm calling you out, and I know you're listening. <laughs> oh, boy. After 
after dinner, we are in a parlor, I think. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. yeah. Dr. Marrow is handing out these little cognitive assessments that he's going to use to keep them distracted during the course of the study. And this is where we start talking about the, quote, fictional story of the house, right? Mm-hmm. Because obviously Dr. Romero has to plant details about the house in their minds. So that they will then make up a story to make them nervous. Yeah, like it's so much more, it's so much scarier when you conjure it in your own mind versus hearing about it from somebody else. So he gives them vague parts of this story. Once upon a time. There was a king who built a castle. His name is Hugh Crane. 130 years ago, towns like Concord, Manchester were the center of American industry. That's where Crane made a fortune on the backs of workers in his textile mills. Now, this man could have anything he wanted, but what he wanted more than anything was a house filled with the laughter of children. And as always, the real villain here is capitalism. Yeah. Because who was Hugh Crane, Carrie? Hugh Crane, in this version of the story, was an evil capitalist fuck who made all his money by exploiting workers in his textile mills. You want to know why this house is so dope? Child labor. Yup. He allegedly built the house for his first wife, his very first love, and wanted to fill it with the sounds of children. And unfortunately... All his children to Renee, his wife, are born deceased. They're stillborn. And his wife finally died. And But even after she died, Hugh just kept building rooms onto the house. Yeah, no, it's like he, it's like he passed go. Yeah. You know, and he just kept going. Yeah, you know? oh no. <laughs> He's been doing laps around the Monopoly board. Here's the thing. I don't know, because throughout this whole story, Mary, the research assistant, is walking around and she seems disturbed. She seems legitimately disturbed. And like at first you think maybe she's putting this on as a part of the experiment. I can feel it. It's all around us. She goes over by that antique harpsichord. And you can see one of the, uh, I don't know what you call this on one of these instruments, but the part that you use to tune it. To tighten the strings. Yeah, yeah. tighten the strings and make them make different sounds. It's slowly turning, tightening one of those harpsichord strings. And Mary goes over to it and she runs her fingers across the strings. It's in the furniture. I can feel it. It's all around us. It's in the ceiling. It's in the walls. It's in the furniture. It's in this. And that harpsichord chooses violence. Yeah. When she touches those strings, one of those strings snaps and hits her in the eye. Yeah, no, like uh, vertically across the eye. Oh, like... it's so awful. Thank God our eyes are indented in our heads. Uh, yeah, I know. Or, or else that would have completely ruined her left eye. It, the house heard her mouthing and tightened that cord so it would snap on her. Now that we're rid of this unhyperlinked actress. Okay. Uh... <laughs> That's the thing is that because Do- that gets her and Belzer out of the house, right? Yeah, Todd takes Mary to the hospital, and as Marrow and Luke are closing the gates behind them, this is where Marrow 
This is where Marrow feigns a little misogyny. Dr. Marrow's like, I, I, I have one more detail about this story, but let's not tell the fragile, hysterical women let's, about it. Let's not upset the women. Yeah, no. He's going to give Luke this piece of the story, knowing full well he's going to turn around and tell the women about it. I just... Okay. <laughs> Cut to Luke running up to <laughs> Eleanor and Theo and being like, guys, guess what I just heard? It took five seconds. <laughs> yes, it did. Turns out there's a darker chapter to the Hugh Crane fairy tale. Remember his lovely wife, Renee? Well, Renee, the town beauty, she didn't just die. She killed herself. Really? He just told you that? Yes, and you can't say anything because he actually swore me to secrecy. Why did she kill herself? Well, there were the stillborn children, and I like to think it was more sinister. Like maybe Ukraine was a horrible monster and drove her to it. Apparently, Ms. Renee actually killed herself in the house. What? But he didn't tell them how. So, like, now they just have to, like, make up those details in their minds. Like, when, again, when you create the story yourself, it's always more scary. Anything you could actually imagine is more scary than anything you could actually observe. The next note I have is, how does anyone expect Nell to get any sleep with these carved cherubs just staring down at her in the dark? As we talked about, as we're talking about on Patreon with the house, it is alive. Yes, it is. It is alive. Things change. Like, remember how we were, we guys, we just recorded uh, Two Storms yeah. not too long ago with the statues changing direction every time she goes in and out of that upstairs Ooh. hallway room. Ooh. Ooh, I have goosies! These cherubs' heads are changing directions. It's so disturbing. And, like, how she manages to fall asleep, I'll never know, but she's woken in the night. By sounds of banging on the wall. She gets right up out of bed like it's muscle memory. Coming, mother. <laughs> oh, no. I'm coming. Coming, mother. Coming. <gasps> and, like, she keeps hearing it. And Theo is screaming for her from her room. Mm -hmm. And she runs into Theo's room and jumps on the bed with her. Like Theo and Shirley. In the hill, in the series, yeah. Yeah, the, then the banging on all the walls. This, yeah. this happens in the 1963 version, too, mm -hmm. where Theo, Theo's always traumatized with somebody in these versions of these stories. And they're just watching the sounds, watching the sounds. They're listening to the <laughs> You feel like you can see them yeah. sometimes. I can, I can, I can see what you're saying. <laughs> They're listening as the sounds are moving around the outside of the room, and like it's going towards Nell's room so it can get in through her side. Quick, lock the doors. She walks right up to the door to her room and like locks it at the last second as the door handle's jiggling. <laughs> Luke comes to the door because they're screaming their heads off, and he offers to go into Nell's room to check for monsters under the bed, basically. <laughs> Didn't you hear that? All I heard was you going, Luke, help me, please, save me. <laughs> no, Luke, that is not what she was screaming, but... Oh my God. And he walks into the room, and everything's lit up again. Everything's fine, but he's looking around, and he goes, 
Wow, I swear I got screwed on the old bedroom selection. Every room's like four times as big as mine. Wow, I got kind of screwed on the whole bedroom selection. He does it again. <laughs> wow. Wow, wow, I got kind of screwed on the whole bedroom selection. The pajamas, I'm sorry, the pajamas. I love his pajamas. He is literally 12. I know. Like, I... Yeah, I know. We cut to everybody in the kitchen. Oh, and Meryl's like, it's the pipes, see? And is like messing with the faucet. And yeah, it's an old house. The pipes are going to jump around in the walls. And yes, it does make a lot of groaning noises. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. The faucet didn't creep upstairs. <laughs> And start banging around on the walls and turning their doorknobs. No, of course not. Of course not. The next day, the second day in Hill House, we have Luke and Nell in, I think we're calling it the great room. Is that what we decided? Sure. That room with the big fireplace in it. And they're doing these little cognitive tests and everything like Dr. Marrow asked them to do. Oh, yeah. Workbooks. Yeah. And this is where... (laughs) Worksheets. Okay, kids. (laughs) Luke's got his hands on his hips and he's like, I don't know. I smell a rat. It's like, why do we have to be here? Why do we have to be in this weird old house? I like this house. I think it's a beautiful house. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I just think Dr. Marrow's up to something. Tell you another thing. I'm going to get to the bottom of it right after I check on Theo, that is. And he's like, well, I'm off to do study time with Theo because I like Theo and want to be in bed with Theo. <laughs> and he closes the door, that big scary stone door with the purgatory on it. Mm-hmm. He closes that behind him and Nell's all alone in the great room. That fireplace, dude, with the two ornate stone lions on top of it. Ooh, I love it. It's beautiful to look at. It is. I just hate to think that children died so that Ukraine could build it. Yeah, I know. And so Nell, like, she thinks she sees something in the fireplace. She does. She most certainly does. She's walking up to it, and it looks like one of those stone lions. Yeah. Just leaping out of the fireplace at her, and she's jumping back like, oh, shit! (laughs) (laughs) She brings everybody back into the great room to search the fireplace, basically, and, like, Marrow and Luke are rooting around in that big fireplace because they can stand in it. Mm -hmm. That's how big it It, is. It's huge. They can literally stand in it. And, like, they're looking around like, I don't know what's going on. I don't see anything back here. And then all of a sudden, this big pendulum swings out of the back of the fireplace and almost creams both of them. It's got a lion head on the bottom of it. (laughs) It's a nice little piece of foreshadowing, isn't it? It is. Hello, Santa! Whoa! God! God, are you alright? Yeah, I'm fine. What is that? A blue. A what? It's, it's an old blue. It opens up the chimney. It's like a flu? I don't know anything about... It's the, it's a something... Yeah. <laughs> it's like something that helps open and close the chimney system. I don't know why it has to be decorated like a cat. <laughs> I, I don't know why it's in the fireplace like that. It's not a clock. Yeah, like, I, I, I don't know why it's a pendulum. Don't ask me. I'm not an architect from 18-whatever-the-hell. And, like, you know, Marrow's like, that's obviously what you saw. Yeah, no, it's like, I just... You're just a little confused, sweetheart. Oh, the way she looks at him and goes, look at me. 
I'm not confused. I know what I saw. And they're like, so do we. And it was that. <laughs> oh, no. In the middle of all this pandemonium, Luke has made another stunning discovery. At the top of that big staircase where Hugh Crane's terrifying oil painting is, uh-huh. someone has written in huge letters in what looks like blood. Yeah. Welcome home, Eleanor. Welcome home, Eleanor. What does that mean? This face. It's my name. Who did this? Who wrote this? Is this one of your sick jokes, Luke? What? Come on, give me a little credit. I think I have a better sense of humor than that. You really think I wrote that? You found it. You could have. With what? With the 20-foot ladder that I keep in my back pocket? And, like, Nellie's immediately upset. She's like, which one of you did this? This is messed up. And I love Dr. Marrow. Dr. Marrow's looking around at all three of them. Yeah, like, what the fuck are y'all on? I did not do this. He knows he did not do this, and now one of his subjects is acting up. They're the only other people in the house. Yeah. Like, the Dudleys are around, but the Dudleys aren't going to make a mess that they'll just have to clean up. Nell's mad. Isn't this how it goes down in the book? This is how it goes down in the book. Welcome Home Eleanor shows up on the wall, and the thing is, though, that in the book... Nell's a little less disturbed by it than she is in the movie. She's just upset that no one else will take credit for writing it. But then she comes to the conclusion herself that it's the house. Mm -hmm. The house wrote the message. The second night in Hill House is where the paranormal activity shit starts happening, right? I think it's already been happening. No, no, I know. <laughs> but like, Remember the pendulum and the, and the and the writing on the wall and the, but you and, could and chalk, the banging? You could maybe chalk all that up to a real-world thing, right? No. Okay. <laughs> all right, fine. No. But the second night, Eleanor wakes up to the sounds of the kids calling her name, the little ghost children. Leave me alone. I am clocked out. I am trying to sleep. Yeah. And there are these little bloody footprints leading out of her bedroom. These little child footprints in blood. And guys, I don't know if you've noticed, she's white. Yeah. So she's going to follow them. Of course. She follows them out of her room, down the hall, and she follows them into... Uh, the library, I think. Mm-hmm. And they just end at this bookcase. And I'm like, oh boy, bookcase door, bookcase book door, bookcase door. Book door. I love haunted house movies where we have bookcase doors. <laughs> Put the candle, candle back. <laughs> that kind of stuff. And so she. Ramsley! Ramsley! <laughs> can, can you push a head back? <laughs> <laughs> and so she goes through this bookcase door. And down into Crane's old study. And she's going to get TB just by breathing the air. Uh, You would think. (laughs) There's so much dust and decrepit things sitting around. And like, guys, there's a little ghost girl in the mirror. Yeah. There's a little ghost girl in the mirror who's literally like a pin drop on Google Maps. Ledger, Eleanor. Find the ledger. Remember when Theo found 
the crawl space in the series. Yeah. And found the ledger. Yeah. Of the the bootlegging operation. Now we are finding a ledger that was for Crane's textile mills on his desk. And like she's opening it and it's a, a record of, quote, employees. I'm using that term very lightly. See, what you did if you were poor back in 18-whatever-the-hell, sometimes you lived on someone's estate. It's called feudalism. It comes from England. And you would work in someone's estate or in one of their, I don't know, industrial sites. And you, in turn for your work, you'd be given a home and money to feed your children. and But your children would also be put to work. And sometimes if you were an orphan, you really had to work. It's awful. She's leafing through this ledger and sees all these names that have been crossed out because they're deceased. And she's reading the ages, 11, 12, Nine. See, here's the thing, folks. This is what Hugh Crane was doing. He was taking these kids from the mills. Kidnapping them. Kidnapping them, these orphans, and taking them to be, air quote, his children in his big, beautiful house. But recording that they died. Yeah. He's literally like, okay, they don't exist anymore. Yeah, so no one will look for them. And just took them to the house and killed them anyway. Here's the thing, though. Did he kill them in the house, or did they just die in the house? I don't know that it matters, but... Well, here's the thing. We know Renee. We know Renee killed herself. Yeah. Renee has probably been appearing. Oh, no. (laughs) And they've probably given Hugh the notion, oh, something dies here, it stays here. I want kids forever. (gasps) Oh, no. Yeah, took all those those orphans out of his textile mills, killed them in the house so they'd stay forever. So we could have forever children. Yeah, forever kids. No. Remember the gays in Murder House? Yeah. They were going to smother Vivian's babies so they'd stay cute forever. Gross. Yeah. Gross, Zachary Quinto. Eleanor takes the ledger and goes straight to Theo's room. I have receipts! And I love Theo. She's so upset because she was actually sleeping for a change. And she's so done with Nell. And Nell starts telling her about the footprints in blood and finding the ledger. And Theo's like, oh, wow, you're really losing it. Theo is feeling serious fucking concern. I'm feeling serious fucking concern. That is what I am feeling. Nell, I'm worried about you. Theo, the house, it's trying to tell me something. You know what? Nell... Go to bed. And so Nell's just like, all right, whatever. You don't believe me? Of course you don't. I'll take my book full of dead kids and go to my own room. (laughs) And she does. She goes back to the room and like, she's like looking at the carved cherub children on the wall, Mm -hmm. speaking to them like, okay, I'm listening. Like, tell me all about it, stud. (laughs) Yeah, she's like, all right, safe space. (laughs) This is a safe space. Let's all talk. Children. <laughs> and like she sits down at her vanity and starts running a comb through her hair. More bad CGI. Oh my god, with the hair. The ghost children, unseen, start taking strands of her hair and twisting them into a braid on the side of her head. It's almost a Leia bun. I know. <laughs> She pops up off the stool like toast. <laughs> like, oh, don't do that. <laughs> I said we could talk. I didn't say shit about playing with my hair. <laughs> Bad touch. Yeah. And so th- she sees on the wall this portrait 
of this woman she's never seen before. It's not Renee. It's not the first wife. Mm -mm. And she has the same twisted bun on the side of her head. Yeah, that the ghost kids were just trying to make. Yeah, what the fuck is that about? Uh, We're in the greenhouse the next day with Luke, Theo, and Nell. And Luke is like, listen, I think we've been had. Yeah, no, Luke is like, this is beginning to look a lot like bullshit. I think it's an old academic bait and switch where, what? where you pretend that it's a study on insomnia, but what he's really interested in is seeing our reaction to these phenomenons. He's obviously behind. No, it's not Dr. Merrill. Then who? Come on, Nell. If it's not Dr. Merrill, if you don't think this is really somehow part of the experiment, then why would you stay here another second? He's right. He is right. But Nell is also right. Nell doesn't think it's Dr. Marrow at all. She's like, I think it's the house. I really do. And this goes back to the parts of the book where you don't know for sure. Whether this shit is actually happening or Nell's just making it all up. Yeah. Like, especially in the book, it's way more ambiguous. And her descent into madness in the story is far more compelling than it is in in any of the adaptations I've seen. Mm -hmm. This is where Nellie looks up in the greenhouse. Ah, ah. Remember, the greenhouse has those awesome double helix iron staircases that are just hanging from the ceiling. Just like the library has in the series. Yeah, and they lead up to that platform. Which, why? I don't know. Why does anyone (laughs) need to be up there? doesn't make any sense. Uh, are we putting plants all the way up there? <laughs> <laughs> and she, I'm sorry, we have to stop laughing because Nell sees the body of Renee, Hugh Crane's first wife, hanging from the platform. Oh my God. What is it? Oh no. What? What, Nell? Now! And she runs back to that study, starts throwing books open like, I'm not crazy! I'm not crazy! And one of these books is going to prove I'm not crazy. And she finds this photo album of all these pictures of the real Hugh Crane and his wife and having their picture taken in that great big room at the front of the house. This is where Nell... What what is this? (laughs) Okay, okay. What what is this with the photo album? I I know what you're about. Hold on. Hold it for two seconds, okay? Because... (laughs) Do you know how long it took to take a photograph back then? I know. Hold on. (laughs) Hold on. We'll get to it in just a second. But, like, after the photos of Renee, Nellie starts finding pictures of a different woman. It's the woman from the painting in her room with the Leia bun on the side of her head. Mm. Crane had a second wife. Named Carolyn. Remember in the series? Yeah. William Hill had a second wife. Mm. Poppy. Poppy Hill. Yeah. Oh, God. Uh, and, and this is what Ross was talking about, because Carolyn, in the album, there's like this flip book effect. Like an Like anim- all of these pictures at the end of her stint in the book. And like they're flashing, they're like stills from a movie. And, and like, to Ross's point, it took like five minutes to take a single shot in those times, you know? So like, what, Carolyn just stood there for what, an hour? Yeah. <laughs> and like the, the shots are of Carolyn pointing at that big fireplace. <laughs> we even get it in Whisper. Yeah. Um, fireplace. 
And so, Eleanor, ever the obedient one, good at following instructions, goes straight to that big fireplace. And the thing is, is that there's this thing underneath it, these two big wrought iron doors that open up like a hatch, and that's where you sweep all the ash in there. Mm -hmm. All the charred wood and the ash and everything. And, like, she struggles to get this thing open, and once she does, she starts using one of these obscenely long fireplace tools to dig around down there. Sure, let's dig. (laughs) And, guys, she finds... Out. She She fucked around. And found out. And found out. She finds bones of children... In the fireplace. You can see it. They're little skulls. Child skulls. Child skulls. Child femurs. That one skeleton that just... It leans up! (laughs) (laughs) Ain't sitting up with the dead no more. I don't know about you, but... Oh my god, uh... And then, like, she slams the lid. She slams the lid with the tool and all. And then she's just in this daze. She's running around. Where are you? Tell me where you are. Let me help you. And I'm like, oh, boy, she done lost it. She's following the sounds of their voices to this room that's at the end of a long hallway. It's reminiscent of the red room from the series. That's right, yeah. And The like, door they can't get open. Yeah. When she walks up to it and she's like, yeah. what is that smell? Yeah. Uh, that's from the book it, when she finds this room and it's got this horrible like sulfur type smell coming out of it that's death that's death that's hell <laughs> that's literally hell yeah. the smell of sulfur this is <laughs> this is unspeakably hokey oh no i know because she is like jiggling that door handle trying to force it open and this is where a giant cgi hand just like comes through the door. <laughs> the noise she makes. I'm trying. I'm trying. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> and then wanders away from it. Then we just cut to Eleanor wandering up to everybody in the parlor in a daze. And she's just, she's, there's no one home right now. Yeah, no, she's been traumatized. He killed them. The children from the mills. It's just like you said. He wanted to fill the house with the sounds of children. He took them from his mills and he brought them here. But he wouldn't let them go. He would never let them go. And I found the skulls, just like Carolyn did. Carolyn, who's Carolyn? And, like, everybody's starting to get seriously worried. Because she, obviously, to them, has had a break with reality at this point. Because Doc knows this is all fake. Mm, well. Well, I know. Yeah. He thinks it's all fake, but it's definitely not. Marrow's like, okay, I guess it's time to come clean. Um, yeah, because everybody's starting to wig out, and we've officially crossed into unethical territory here. You've already broken one person, Marrow. Yeah, for real. You don't care about us. You don't care about insomnia. You just wanted to scare the hell out of us so we fit into your little test or model oh, or whatever other bullshit okay. you need to understand this. You can't now do listen. it. You listen. I am trying to help people. My field of study is the science of fear. I try to understand why people act the way they act, why they feel the way they feel. She cracks him across the face, and I, don't, I think he underreacts. He's just like, oh, okay. And she goes... You don't feel. Okay, CCJ. Okay. CCJ, CCJ, I love that. 
I love that. That might be my favorite line. You don't feel. I would like her to also crack me across the face. And so he starts walking away from that. And she's like, where are you going? And he's like, I'm going to go see what the hell this bitch was talking about. Like, no, he's going to go check out the fireplace because <laughs> earlier when Nell was like, no, you have to look at the bones in the fireplace. And they're I all can't like, believe you're not going to look. And, and, yeah, and Marrow's like, it's not real. None of it's real. I can't believe you're not going to look. <laughs> and like, Marrow goes up to the to the hatch that where she found the bones, and it's frustrating because not only did Nell leave the tool in there in a way that it's like stopping the door from raising. He's also standing on it. Yeah, no, I know. I'm Liam like, Neeson is standing on the door trying to open it, and I'm like, <laughs> you are a scientist. Do you not see what's preventing you from opening the door? He has a PhD. <laughs> are you serious? And so he finally just gives up on that, right? Yeah, he just kind of gives up on that, like, oh, well, she was probably crazy. I can't do anything about it. And we cut to Theo putting Nellie to bed. And, like, she's very maternal about it. It's almost weird. Like, kisses her on the forehead and everything and, like, leaves the room to go make her some tea. And this scene is absolutely wild. Okay. This is when the interior of the house starts getting really aggressive. Guys, if your room ever grows a face and stares you down, (laughs) you need to leave. No, yeah. Again, we have the air whooshing in and out. And and the walls walls are are moving. moving. Like we're inside of it. And we're in the belly of the beast. God, you're right. Those windows that look like eyes. Oh, no, yeah. the, 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 The arch tips. The arch tips on the doorways, they look like fucking eyes that are staring her down. And then the house, I don't know how it does it, but the house ejects her from bed. Oh, who was holding my hand? Get out of bed, boy! She's seeing the glass freeze up, like frost up because of the cold air. Bro, you literally just made her room look at her. Why is his face forming in the glass of the window? Because it's very creepy and you know it. Bro, it it is your house. Come inside. (laughs) You are literally just being a dick right now. If you're cold, they're cold. Bring them inside. No, No, but here's the thing. She, She knows that it's him. It's his ghost. And she picks up this like heavy metal tin off of her vanity, launches that thing through the window, but then the the glass literally jumps back through the window. <laughs> Bitch, you thought. <laughs> no! I will not let you hurt a child! She runs out of the hallway, glass chasing her all the way, and she's running down this corridor, this, this, you know, this, she's running down this ornate corridor, and the, the you can see, the ceiling's like, boom, boom. Like, like there's a giant on the ceiling. Like, Ukraine's ghost is following her, and I'm like, bro, literally go inside. It is <laughs> your house. You are literally the one haunting it. And, like, she runs into the carousel room. This is unforgivable. Oh, I know. This is so... Remember, this is the room with the rotating floor and the the carnival music. This is the room where we're smoking. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, like, (laughs) she's just, like, going in circles, like, I don't know what you want from me! (laughs) When she's twirling around going, who am I? (laughs) What do you want? 
And then she looks up and she sees her stagnant reflection in the glass. She's not moving. And she just, her reflection turns to the side on its own. And like her belly inflates like she's pregnant. Oh, I know. And her reflection speaks to her. She's all of us. Oh, no. Oh, no. No. No, no, no. no. <laughs> she runs in. Belly full of ghost fetus. Like, Stop. I Okay, the house, the, the house literally, by showing that to her, was like DTF. A little bit. Like, Hugh Crane is trying to get this bitch pregnant. The thing is, that, that would go technically with the themes of the original book, right? The themes of the original book have everything to do with homes and families. And, like... The characters in the original novel, they all had uh, broken families in one way or another. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's like this movie cherry picks through the visuals of the novel without ever really explaining them or putting them in proper context. That's why it looks so messy. But like the fact that the house literally wants to keep her there forever and make it a part of the extended ghost family that just exists here is just, ooh, it's so chilling. We're going into the greenhouse because the the children, the ghost children, show up under the curtain and they're like, find us, Eleanor, find us. And like, she's like, does that mean I have to die? Does yeah, that, no, yeah. Does that mean I have to die so I can be with the children? Remember Nell in the series? Ooh. Literally getting haunted back to the house? This is literally what's happening. Nell goes into the greenhouse climbs that rickety hanging staircase Why? and gets up on that platform. And this is where the other three finally find her. She's on the wrong side of that railing, ready to let herself die. Wait a minute. Is this why Renee killed herself? Do you think the house made her do it? Or did Renee, did Renee kill herself to also protect the children? I don't know, man. I really don't know. Is, is it like, is this history re? Repeating itself? Like, I, it could very well be. Again, the movie does a shit job. Of explaining, you know, yeah, no. Of putting it all into context. So it really is open to interpretation. Oh, boy. I don't know. So I don't know, man. It sounds like a sloppy adaptation to me. <laughs> <laughs> now! I'm gonna help you. I'm gonna help you. I'm almost there. Eleanor. I wanna help you. Eleanor, don't move. Don't move. The group is wigging out. Marrow, feeling responsible, is going to then climb the staircase. Try to get Nell on the right side of the railing again. Yeah, and he's climbing this staircase, and of course it's old. What did you think was going to happen? Yeah, it starts to come apart when he's about halfway up. The ghost children literally, like, unscrewing (laughs) the final screws and... (laughs) Cutting the wires. It's not gonna hold your weight there. It's breaking apart. Don't move now. Don't move. Oh my god. (laughs) Pay no attention to that man on the staircase. (laughs) He's trying to save you from being with us. 
glad we can laugh about it. I, 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 what else am I supposed to do with this? Am I supposed to be scared? And like, Marrow is now hanging on for dear life to this staircase, and Nell steps back over the platform and offers him a hand. Why is this here? <laughs> We don't need plants that high. I know, I know. It doesn't make any sense. Does it go into the house? We don't know. That's the thing. I feel like it's attached to the rest of the house, and that's just a way to get to another part of the house. Why would anyone need to enter the greenhouse at that level? I don't know, honey. I don't know. It's just, it's one of the most infuriating things about all of it for me. (laughs) And, like, they're trying to get Nell settled back down, and now we gotta talk about the bed attack. Nell is- The bed attack. Yeah. I'm sorry. Nell is in bed. And I don't know who designed this bed, but I need to speak to them. I sure want to sleep with spikes pointing down at me all night. Yeah, there's like these ornate spires coming down out of the top of the canopy. It's like, it's like, it's like when you've just put a kid to bed, but they're creaking back into your room because they're not ready to go back to sleep yet. Uh, yeah. That's exactly what's happening. Hugh Crane is literally like, hey, I know that that was all wild just now, but- I still want to play. Oh, no. And the way it's almost like, you know, she's laying there and like everything starts to creep and creak again. It's almost like I wasn't done. Yeah, this is where the architecture gets really hostile. Really hostile. Like the floor starts splintering around the bed so that no one will be able to get to her. It's like she's being enclosed in a mouth. Ooh, ooh. Because those spikes come down and nail her down to the bed. Like their teeth. Yeah. But here's the other thing. It's a little handmaid's tale. Uh-oh. Like, is this house literally about to impregnate her? Ew. Yeah, no, I hate it. I hate it so much. I just, I, uh. And, like, Luke and, uh, Luke and Theo and Dr. Marrow hear her screaming, and they get the door to her bedroom open finally. Oh, they're probably so tired. Oh, I bet. And they see it happening. They all see it happening. The literal hands that are reaching out of the ceiling to get to her. That's so creepy for me right now, because he's doing it with his hands off the mic, reaching. But I can't see your face because it's dark in here, so I just see your hands reaching out of the darkness at me. Ooh, also, my, my pet peeve about this whole scene she literally lays there and watches this happen to she her kind of lets it happen to her she actually had so much time to get from the moment this starts to the moment it gets really bad to run out of the room but no and like the group manages to free her luke picks up at shut up i know this is also bad luke picks up a candlestick and starts giving very disingenuous swings that's it hit it right where it's supposed to break <laughs> And then, like, this is where Luke is like, Mike from Monsters, Inc., we are getting out of here now! (laughs) So long, Hill House. So long, Dr. Marrow. And, like, they go to the gate, but the Dudleys lock the gate behind them when they leave at night. Luke's like, Nell, let me borrow your piece of shit car. (laughs) That 20-year-old car. He tries to ram, Luke tries to ram the gate open with Nell's car. It is unsuccessful. It actually involves Luke becoming trapped in the car with an oil fire beginning. Uh Uh-oh, we don't want it to blow up. This is where Nell looks at Dr. Marrow and says, Dr. Marrow, how did you know the house wanted me? What do you mean? 
Why did you call and tell me to look for your ad? Ad? But I didn't call you. You told me to look in the paper. Eleanor, the first time I spoke to you was here at the house. Okay. I have a question. Yeah, you do. <laughs> How did the house place a want ad from miles away? And which one of these ghost children called Nell and told her to look in the paper? <laughs> like, hey, check it out. <laughs> Please come save us. Like, like, how did the ghost children know about Marrow's experiment? Like, it, none of it makes any sense. How does a house take out ad space? <laughs> and then, you know, in the process of busting Luke out of the car he's trapped in, Nell has gone back inside. Because all the ghost children are turning on the lights <laughs> and asking her to come home. Where's Nell? Oh, when the porch light flicks twice. Time, Time to, to come, come home! home. Uh, and it's like... <laughs> Theo's like, where's Nell? And Luke's like, fuck Nell! <laughs> if the bitch wants to stay, let her stay! <laughs> like, come on, this is crazy! And so they go back in the house and start looking for her, and this is where they go to the long hallway with that tiny door at the end of it. The one that the fist came yeah, out of? Yeah, the stinky hand door, yeah. <laughs> but now it's open. And also, this room, which is reminiscent of the red room, is blue. Yeah, it's blue on the inside. Like her broom in the book? Yeah, I, it's very, it's very confusing. And there's like all the, it's kind of like a room of requirement type deal. There's just like a bunch of different shit in there. But in, oh, in one corner is a space that we've been in already. It's Eleanor's mother's room. Perfectly preserved. Like down to the last detail. Here in this blue room in this mansion. And you're like, what? This always confused me as a child. And, like, it's, like, behind this curtain, and Nell is, like, cranking up that uh, vintage iPod shuffle. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> like, he's humming that little tune to herself and, like, playing with her locket, fidgeting with her locket. And Theo brushes the curtain aside and goes, no, we have to go now. And, and Nell's like, no. And I'm like, yeah, no, because I have to explain the whole plot right here, <laughs> right now. Here's the thing, because this never made sense to me as a child. Exactly. What? <laughs> It no. doesn't make sense. No, I mean, I mean why the room itself looks exactly like her mother's room. Mm -hmm. The house has designed this room to make her feel at home. Okay, well then let's play what has Hill House done for me lately because <laughs> I would like this house to design me a room. So it could keep you inside and oh. subsist on you. Oh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, don't spoil it. I've had a house do that to me before. Mm. I don't really want to do it again. No. You see, this is the room where Carolyn had her baby before she ran away. And the children, they wanted me to see this so I would know this was my home. Oh, my God. Yes. See, Carolyn was my great-great-grandmother. And the children are my family. This is where I belong. Oh, please! <laughs> Girl, you are gonna die! And here's the thing. This is where the writing just completely falls off the rails. Let's, because Let's write ourselves into a corner and then do whatever we need to do to get out of it. Like, th remember the locket, the ornate locket that belonged to her mother? Yeah, with the C on it. <laughs> this is where we realize that it was also in the paintings of Carolyn. 
and that somehow we deduce that Nell must be Carolyn's granddaughter somehow, however many times over. It doesn't make any sense at all, none whatsoever, because Carolyn eventually got out of the house, got away from Ukraine, and went on to live a whole nother life. Apparently. Yeah, but like she was pregnant when she ran away. Uh-oh. Yeah. So Hugh Crane, <laughs> Hugh Crane is literally her granddaddy. Gross. At least this is how the movie would have us uh, portray it. I I cannot. This um, it's an absolute mess. It's infuriating. And Nell's like, I'm gonna stay, but y'all definitely can't. <laughs> yeah, no, y'all yeah. cannot stay here. He will not let you leave. And so she's leading them out of the house. But the doors all shut tight on them. They literally try to break windows to leave. As if they don't know already that the glass is just going to jump back up in the pane like, ha ha, fuck you. The windows are literally taking the furniture and keeping it away from them. <laughs> Give me back that chair. <laughs> that window said no. Absolutely not. And like Luke starts losing it. Like, he's like, I can't take this anymore. We're going to burn this house down. With us in it, Luke? (laughs) It's a very unhinged idea. And before he can find anything to start a fire. This is my favorite part of the movie. I know this is your favorite part of the movie. I just, there is something that sets my soul aflame. Watching (laughs) that rug go out from under him, literally, and drag him into that fireplace. Yeah, that floor runner just, it's like it's like a, a piece of, it's like it's a measuring tape being sucked back into the holder. And he's right. Riding that rug, and it just catapults him into that fireplace. And no one is McReady for what happens next. Absolutely not. Because Dusty Owen Wilson is, you know, stumbling around in the fireplace, and then that gigantic kitty pendulum comes swinging back out of nowhere. It's so funny, and it's so badly done. Oh, that fucking flu knocks Owen Wilson's head off his shoulders. Oh, my God. Luke, get out now! Luke! (laughs) The way Theo screams, but the way that Marrow underreacts. You just saw a man get decapitated. All he does is close his eyes like he just saw someone break their leg or something. Yeah, he just looks away and you're like, what? The way that Nell closes her eyes is almost to say, god damn it. She knew it was going to happen. She knew one of them was going to get hurt. (laughs) And then... Oh, I love this. This made me bust. We were watching it together. And then... Those doors containing all the child bones? In the fireplace. They fling open, and all the bones and ash and dust propel out of that hole as if the house is going, here, have some bones! (laughs) And they're raining down everywhere, the bones of these children, these murdered children. Oh, God. And, like, Theo takes Dr. Marrow to get his hand bandaged up because he cut it trying to break the glass on the window. that's our greatest concern right now is uh, Marrow's hand. And, like, Eleanor is all by herself. Barefoot, stepping on all those bones. She's on the landing of that big staircase, and she is literally calling Hugh Crane's ghost out. She's like, already she is! Yeah. You and I have unfinished business! She's like, Hugh Crane! (laughs) 
drop those big scary balls on the table because we got business. She walks down that staircase through that great room and... She's getting towards the doors that say all that stand before the purgatory doors. All that stand before these doors shall be judged. And she turns around just in time to see the big portrait of Ukraine fly back up on the wall and then he just emerges. It's so bad. (laughs) Yeah, his Dementor form is not very good. The CGI ghost of Ukraine is so big, it's a little scary. is a little scary especially remember being a little kid no yeah it scared me as a kid i always hated that part when he came through the painting like and and then theo and uh dr marrow come back in the room and like we're inside right but all this wind is picking up no wonder the room had to be so big it had to accommodate ukraine's ghost (laughs) like all this wind is picking up and blowing the ashes of the children around (laughs) close your mouth And all the statues are waking up. It's reminiscent of the end of Jumanji for me. It really is. Yeah, it's like we're all being sucked back into the game. And like, just, (laughs) here comes Ross's least favorite line. I just, I, because. The way she's going to call him grandpa. I know. She's about to call him grandpa and I know you hate it. Because she is calling him out and reading him to filth. And she's like, listen, I know you've been running purgatory for a while, but I'm here now. family is it (laughs) (laughs) no i know see they shoehorned that whole family thing in at the very friggin end they wrote themselves up the creek from the plot without a paddle (laughs) and then they were like it's like they threw a rope out behind them went can you pull us back in please (laughs) we're too far out And, like, the ghost is threatening them, is, like, getting closer to them, and Eleanor is, like, backing up against that big ornate door with all the demons on it. Purgatory's over. You go to hell. And I'm like, oh, boy. I do love this moment where the demons come out of the door, reach past Eleanor, and grab onto Hugh Crane's ghost, and Pull him into the door. Purgatory's over. You go to hell. Stay with us now! But here's the thing. He grabs Eleanor. Yeah, his body smashes Eleanor into the door with him. I love when he smashes into the door, his skeleton, like, flashes highlights. <laughs> oh, God. And, like, they, the, it's like when he finally disappears into the door, Eleanor's body is stuck to the face of the door with all the other little demons holding her up. And they just kind of gracefully, like, okay, we're just going to set you back down here. It's right. like they prevented her from getting dragged to hell with him. Mm-hmm. Ooh. I don't like it at all. 
I don't understand how this was ever the answer. What getting him to go getting the ghost ghost to stand in front of that's it. That's all we had to do was get the ghost to stand in front of the doors. Well, like I think it's all an extended metaphor for getting the ghost to quote cross over. Remember? I'm not ready to cross over yet. (laughs) Yeah, no, yeah. (laughs) Hugh Crane was Crittenden in this movie. I can't cross over. The bitch is back. But then, obviously, the demons weren't going to let her go to hell with him because she doesn't belong there. This was not worth it. She dies anyway. Yeah, that's the thing. She looks up at the door and all those ghosts of the children. It's a little haunted mansion. It is. All the ghosts of the children start floating up towards the ceiling and they're lighting up. They're no longer translucent. They're they're full of light. Thanks, Eleanor. Yeah. And she just kind of puts her head back down on the tile. And dies. Takes her last breath. And her ghost self goes up there with the children. She's going to take care of them now, I guess. Went to partake in a sleep study, wound up dead. Yeah, for real. I just... (laughs) I know. I... (laughs) The way this movie peters out. They are... It is Theo and Marrow. They're the only ones left. It is. It is. Catherine Zeta-Jones and Liam Neeson left with a bunch of child bones and two dead bodies. And two dead bodies. And here's the thing. They just kind of have to hold each other until daylight. When the Dudleys finally come back. I love that shot of Mr. Dudley in the rearview mirror rolling up to the gate. That car smashed halfway through the gate. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I don't. He's, like, when, he's unlo- when he's taking the chains off and Theo and Marrow are standing there behind the gate. Did you find out what you wanted to know, doctor? to mention the fact that there's dead bodies inside? Yeah, now how are we going to explain this the fuck away? Like, I don't understand. Like, obviously, Theo and Marrow are witnesses, and they can corroborate each other's stories. Marrow, go ahead. Tell the public the house did it. (laughs) Go ahead. (laughs) We know who lured everyone here. And yes, one of them was a ghost, but you lured everybody else here. Criminally negligent homicide. I'm sorry, Dr. Marrow. You're going away. You're going away. You're going away. For crying out, but of course we deal with none of that. It's whatever. Like, we just go out on another helicopter shot of the house. Um, what the fuck was that? <laughs> it was a mistake. Listen, you know who you know who gives the best performance in this movie, honestly? Who? The house. Oh, stop. And I, I believe we should have mentioned the house and we've got names. No. Because that's what's the coolest thing about it. That's why I watched the movie. It's to look at this beautiful set. It's why Roger Ebert liked it. But the house is like the main character. Yeah. You know? Fuck uh, Nell. I know. Like, <laughs> this house is actually alive. And isn't that the driving element in the series as well? Yeah. Is that, that this house is as alive as you and me and is manipulating events in our lives to where it controls us forever. Like, Shirley Jackson described it as the kind of place that was unkind, never meant to be lived in. And out of all the adaptations, this is the one where the house is the most animated. 
Exactly. No, that, that yeah, no, we you don't see the house in any other iteration of this going as hard as the house goes in this movie. <laughs> yeah, there are no faces in the architecture. That the, come on, a pair of doors sent Ukraine to hell? <laughs> I think it's just messy because this movie tried to take the horror elements of the story so literally. So they cherry picked through that whole story and just brought things to film that were interesting to look at, as opposed to, you know, literary concepts that give the house and its malevolence a proper context the way the series does. I'll tell you what, when I think of Hill House, I'm not thinking of hands coming down out of the ceiling. No. (laughs) I'm just not. I was a little hokey on. <laughs> you were thinking more of the, you know, psychological elements. Don't let Jan debaunt your plot. <laughs> Guys. I know that was a lot. We've got a better selection coming at you next week. <laughs> oh, I can't believe I am I am hair on fire excited. Oh guys. I'm excited. Next week we will be covering the 1984 classic uh, Ghostbusters. I'm an adult virgin. <laughs> In the meantime, you can go follow us on Twitter at Kick and Stream. K-I-C-K-N-S-T-R-E-A-M. You can write the show at Kicking and Streaming Podcast at gmail.com. That's with an and, not an ampersand. And don't forget, folks, please be practicing the three R's. Rate, review, retweet. Rate, review, retweet, folks. We want everyone to come and join our spooky little watch party. And guys, if you want more Hill House content, please go over to the Patreon. For just $5 a month, you're getting access to all of our long-form coverage, which is currently the Haunting of Hill House series on Netflix. Mm-hmm. We are Flanagasted. We are Flanistans. We are Flanistans. I just, oh, oh my God, Ross, today I saw a place where you could buy some of Theodora's gloves from the actual show. Yeah, for like $1,500. I'm really about to drop $1,500 on these gloves. I swear to God. <laughs> if you do, I'll kill you. I know you will. More quality content coming to you from Kicking and Streaming. Until then, I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. And as always, sorry, sorry mom. mom.